everybody here has seen the movie Forrest Gump. I don't think there's anybody in the world who hasn't seen Forrest Gump. I mean, it's been out for a long time and they just, they often play it. And one of the interesting things about Forrest Gump is that he just falls into things. So he happened to be one of the speakers at that big rally in Washington anti-Vietnam protest and he just happened to end up with shares in Apple and he just fell into all of these things and the the whole premise of the movie was that he wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed so the movie even starts with him with that box of chocolates I'm not a smart man that's like his opening sentence and a lot of what we talk about here in the treatment center is trusting the process and allowing things to happen. To a large degree, what we, we're asking people to do here is to trust the process, to allow things to, to happen, to allow things to unfold the way that they need to unfold. Now, if you think about the way that you've been living your life, if I think about the way that I've been living my life up until the point of coming into the program, the choices and the decisions that you were making very much determined the direction that your life was taking. So the choices about the chemicals and the substances that you put in your body have resulted in you ending up sitting here in the circle. So who really chooses this. Who really chooses to come to rehab? I mean, it, it, certainly my experience was kind of like I ended up coming, going to rehab. You know, I ended up going to AA meetings and getting sober. And I'm very grateful that that happened, but I don't know how that happened. What were the circumstances that led up to that taking place? So I'm 22 years sober, 23 years now in November. You know, how did that happen? What were the circumstances that resulted in that happening? Because there's a lot of people who come into the program and they're in and they're out, and they're in and they're out, and they're in and they're out, and they're clean and they're not clean, and they're clean and they're not. Who decides these things? Why do these things proceed the way that they do? If there is an element of the choices and the decisions that I make, are going to determine what it is that I fall into, then it becomes important that I make the right decisions and make the correct choices because it's going to determine what is going to happen with my life. A lot of very, very successful people speak about if you do what you love, you will never work a day in your life. So I think about that. And it sounds very nice. It's got a nice ring to it. It's like one of those slogans that you can just throw out there that is like, gee whiz, how did he do that? He must be doing what he loves because it doesn't seem like he's working. I don't even know if it's, there's any basis of reality in that. Now, one of the choices that I'm faced with in my personal life is I play the guitar. I have no desire to be a professional musician to leave what it is that I do and make music. But I really, really like it. And I've been playing for a long time. And I take lessons. And I practice all the time. And I work very hard at it. It's something that I really enjoy doing. And before I started 
taking lessons, I was questioning, should I be doing something different with my time? Should I be doing accounting? Should I be doing bookkeeping? Should I be doing business management? Should I be studying a degree of some kind? The humanities or whatever, everybody in this field seems to want to be a psychologist or a social worker or one of those things. Or should I be wasting my time with something that is quite a sketchy thing? Because I don't want to go hang around in bars and play music in bars and those kind of things, which kind of takes out a lot of, you know, we all hear the only way that get anywhere in the music business is you go out on tour and all the things that happen on tour and all of those kind of, I don't want to, I don't know if I, I don't want to do that, you know, get caught up in, in that trap. But I'm still doing something that I really enjoy doing. And then I do the work that we do here in the treatment center. And then it's also very much a case of how did I end up here? What are the circumstances that brought me to Crossroads, to be working in Crossroads and to be running groups and to be doing counseling and to be doing the things that I do? It's a very bizarre set of circumstances that I, I will say that 12 years, 14 years, no, 12 years prior to opening up the center, it was something that I wanted to do. When I was asked the question, what do you want to do? I want to do this. And now this is what I'm doing. And trust me, a year into doing this, it was like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> but once you're in it, you're in it, and I'm going. And a year, eight years later, started in Pretoria, we're now in Joburg, and we're going to keep going. If I consider a little bit what I've learned in the time that I've been doing this work, the impact that alcohol and drugs had on me was very, very negative. It wasn't a positive experience. I found myself in a position where I had two criminal records. Uh, I had been arrested multiple times, all alcohol-related offences. I've been in two psychiatric hospitals, uh, two rehabilitation centres. And kind of my family didn't want anything to do with me. Right? So that's what alcohol does to me. Uh, what drugs did to me that had such a negative impact on my mental capacity. It really, really, really took a serious knock internally. It was almost like the drugs and, and the combination of, of alcohol kind of displaced me. It was like I didn't really know where I was as a result of putting all of those chemicals in my system. And again, I ask the question now, I was, I went to Pretoria Boys High and in my year at Pretoria Boys High, Elon Musk was in my year at Pretoria Boys High. Elon Musk was in the same year as me. Elon Musk is running a multi-billion rand corporation and sending rockets into space. Me at the age of 26, I had nothing. Where I currently am, I'm, I'm really happy where I am, and, I, and I'll explain to you a little bit about uh, what I've learned here in the treatment center and the impact that it's had on my life. But you have two people that are in the same environment. Mark Shuttleworth, who's also a Pretoria Boys High boy, also went off into space. Oscar Pretorius, 
not such a good result there. Jake Smith, Springbok rugby captain, Pretoria boys high. There are a lot of people in the same place at the same time and the different trajectories that these people's lives have taken. Why have things gone the way that things have gone and in the direction that they've gone in? And I learned here in the treatment center doing this work that the amount of effort that I put in trying to clear my perspective of what it is that I'm looking at, of trying to understand the circumstances that I'm faced with, determines where my life is going to go. I can be faced with any set of circumstances. I can be faced with a WhatsApp from my girlfriend. And then it's going to come down to how am I reading what is on the screen here? And what is the amount of effort that I'm willing to put in to try and understand these circumstances? Now, let's just make it 20 times more complicated. Stepping into the groups that we do here at the center, where you have at any time, so when I first started in Pretoria, we have much bigger numbers than here in Joburg. We were averaging 20, up to 25. You step into a group with 25 people. 25 people who have just stepped off the sidewalk in Sunnyside and come into rehab. Some who want to be there, some who don't want to be there, some who are cooperating, some who are pretending to cooperate, and some who are just flat out refusing to cooperate. It's very, very difficult to maintain a clear perspective of what it is that you're seeing and what it is that you're dealing with in trying to understand the processes that are taking place, which is very much why I use the metaphor of Forrest Gump. Because in the movie Forrest Gump, it doesn't seem like Forrest Gump really was doing anything. He was just going from like one thing to the next thing. Let's just say he was a good person. He was trying to be a good person. And I think it's a very rare thing to meet someone who is not trying to be a good person. I have a friend like that who, when he used, had no intention of trying to be a, a good person. He was also a person that... Uh, was an orphan, never knew his family, uh, was adopted, and when he started using, just went on a rampage, and his words were, he knew that he was no good rubbish, and he went out to prove it that he didn't care. Very rare to come across people like that. Most people genuinely are trying to do the right thing, don't want to hurt people. When faced with a set of circumstances that are extremely complex and difficult to fathom, even if you enter into a business negotiation, you go into a boardroom in a business negotiation and let's say you've got one party is the buyer and one party is the seller and you don't know if what you're going into, if you have all the correct information. 
if that person who is selling you that business has given you the correct set of books or has that person been keeping two sets of books and is only giving you the one that he wants you to see. He's only trying to sell you what he wants you to believe is there so that he can get the sale through, that he can get the money. The way that we operate here can sometimes be exactly the same, where you have people trying to sell a perception of themselves, trying to sell an image, trying to sell the fact that they know what they're doing, that they are right and that everybody else is wrong. I want to add one other thing to this is when you're dealing with alcoholics and drug addicts, alcoholics and drug addicts are masters at trying to sell something that is not there. Put on the best front that you could possibly imagine. You must see me when I meet people. In those days, even polite, respectful, nice, selling an idea of that is not actually based in any reality. Because the reality is I'm getting wasted and passed out on the street and getting arrested by the police and all kinds of terrible things that are going on. But I don't want people to know that. I listen to people outside of meetings talking the nonsense that they do and bragging about the things that they've done. And I always ask the question, so if you were to meet somebody for the first time, a potential romantic interest, are you going to be sharing those stories with that person ever? You know, I wouldn't. I really wouldn't. I'm not going to tell the person what it is that I've, that I've been doing and the things that I've been up to. We're very good at trying to bluff our way through situations and circumstances. So, how do you divine the truth under those circumstances? Now, I'll tell you what my experience is, and I've seen this again and again and again and again. And it has turned my experience into belief. Is that it's impossible to hide the truth. Because it will always come out somehow. Whether it be in a feeling, an intuition. And this is again the set of circumstances that you're faced with. If you are relying on your intuition but you've been using kilograms of cat and are completely paranoid out of your mind. But you say, like, I trust my intuition. My wife is cheating on me. I know it. My cell phone has special video capabilities that can see through walls. People have said that to me and they believe it. It becomes imperative, imperative, that you learn how to clear your perception. That you have a truthful idea of what is taking place so it's very much that's why if i look at scientific theories a lot of these scientific theories i believe have their foundations in reality and people take those ideas and expand on them so one of einstein's ideas was for every action there's an equal and an opposite reaction and if you're going to be doing things there's going to be re a reaction to to those things and I believe for your perception to be at its clearest, you have to be clean and you have to be sober. And you have to be working at keeping your perception clear. Entropy is if you have a jug of boiling water,
It's the second law of thermodynamics. If you have a jug of boiling water and you put that jug of boiling water down on the table, it will cool. And there's nothing that you can do about it. You can insulate it as much as possible, but it will still cool down. A geyser doesn't stay hot forever. You can't boil something and then insulate it and expect it to bo stay boiled forever. It will eventually cool down. It's a law. just is that way. One of the ways that they expand on the law of thermodynamics is that it's less likely that a sandcastle will be built than washed away. It's, if a sandcastle is built, it's very unlikely that it's going to stay that way. There's a much bigger chance of it disintegrating. Now, the universe, the sun, everybody knows the sun is cooling. We all know that at some point the sun is going to go out, not going to be there anymore. We all age and we all die and there's nothing that can be done about that. You know, the guy who figures that one out is going to save the universe. How do we keep the universe alive forever? Yeah, because the universe is cooling. Everything is cooling. At some point, it's all going to go out. The jug will cool. We eventually will all die. Your perspective and your perception will not stay clear unless you work at keeping it clear. So unless you put a flame under that pot of water to keep it hot, it's not going to stay hot. It's going to cool. Here's an example of that. And this comes from my own personal experience. The Japanese practice a system of faith called Shinto. Part of the Shinto practice is submersion in ice water. I've been practicing the ice water submersion part twice a week. I do ice baths. I jump in water that is zero degrees for 10 minutes with chunks of ice floating around in it. Now, normally, a person who is in zero degree water will instantly go into hypothermia and potentially die from hypothermia. But there are ways to get around that. The record for somebody spending time in ice is close on two hours. I think it's one hour fifty. That's in a container with ice cubes thrown in with the person, with the person being monitored while they're in the ice. If somebody falls in a frozen lake, either that person is going to die or unless that person knows how to survive under those circumstances, survive. And it's possible. It's, in fact, not hard. And anybody can do it. With this practice that I do of ice water submersion, I have found that I no longer need to wear glasses when I watch TV. My eyes don't get sore anymore. Now, I don't know why that 
is that way. But it's one of the positive side effects that I have of doing the ice water submersions. I also have uh, rheumatoid arthritis in my finger joints from playing the guitar too much. And when I do the ice baths, I don't have any pain in my joints and I can continue playing. But this thing with the eyes is very, very interesting. Because I'm not submerging myself underwater. I'm only submerging myself this, this deep. And then I sit there for 10 minutes. So what I've done is I've got a chest freezer. And I fill the chest freezer with water. And I've got it on a cycle of where it freezes and it unfreezes. And it freezes, there's pieces of ice in there. Jump in with the ice and very, very cold. You have no idea how cold zero degrees is. Very, very cold. As an experiment, turn on just the cold water in the shower. Cold water in the shower is 17 degrees. Shower cold water is the same temperature as swimming pool water. I've measured it. It's exactly the same. But it always feels like the water coming out of the shower is colder. But it's the same temperature as swimming pool water. I was doing cold showers now through the winter. That's so half past seven in the morning in July in cold showers. And it's not the cold that makes people sick. It's germs. It's not wet hair that makes people sick germs, bacteria. It's your immune system. The immune system is such an interesting thing because it's possible to manage your immune system. So I know when I have been in periods of extreme stress, extreme stress, I get sick. When I'm really, there's so much going on, I get a cold because when I'm anxious, because when I'm f I'm, I have anxiety and fear, I'm, I'm concerned about a, a, an attack, an unknown attack coming from somewhere. So my immune system is on guard for that. And when I get a, a, a bacteria, I get sick. Because my immune system is preoccupied with something else. Right? I don't get sick anymore. Because my immune system is much stronger than it was. Because to a large degree of this Forrest Gump philosophy of allowing life to happen, of not really being able to control what is going to happen and what isn't going to happen. We have to take responsibility for the things that we can take responsibility for and do the things that we can do. But ultimately we have no idea what is going to happen or what direction things are going to take. We don't have an idea. When I stop practicing my ice water practice, my eyes start to get sore when I watch TV. So the problem is not cured, but the problem has gone away, provided I do the practice. Now it's the exact same thing with our perception. Is If you are working on clearing your perception and trying to understand what it is that you are faced with. You will have a much clearer perspective on your experience and what you are going through. But if you just think that it's going to happen automatically, just because you are here, you are sorely mistaken.
doesn't work that way. I mentioned this yesterday, but I want to talk about it again because it's so important. The 12 steps. If you take those 12 steps and apply them like a set of rules in your life, your life will get better for sure. Of course it will. If you stop drinking, your life is going to get better. If you engage in some kind of spiritual practice, your life is going to get better. If you start looking at your problems and enter into that whole confessional process, your life is going to get better. You start trying to make right the wrongs that you did in the past, your life is going to get better. You start making things right as you go along, your life is going to get better. You start helping other people, your life is going to get better. It's just obvious. Those are not new ideas. Those are not things that are limited to the 12 steps. You can go anywhere and get that information. There's definite benefit to be gained from applying a set of rules like that to your life. But what if you look at it from a perspective of they are not rules. They are just a, an indicator of a direction to move in. Right? Because they are quite vague. And there are only 12 of them. And how are only 12 of them supposed to address all the problems that I have in my life? Solve all the problems that I have in my life. So if we look just a little bit below the surface, what is the implication? What is being suggested specifically by those first three steps? I'd like to make it clear here yeah, that I think it's just understood that no drinking and no alcohol and no drugs. Powerlessness and unmanageability there, that's the standard given. But if we look at the admission of powerlessness, the desire to have some kind of internal balance restored, and that all that we have to do to achieve that is to stop fighting, to let go. That is what those first three steps are talking about. Every major philosophy in the world is pointing in similar direction. It's not a new idea. People have been having this discussion that we're having now since the time of Marcus Aurelius. Plato, Aristotle, those guys, you go read those works, what we're talking about now is what they're talking about. The current philosophers talk about the same thing. How do I clear my perspective? I accept, I know that when I start exerting power, I'm putting my will on the circumstances. But if I am able to let go and not exert my will on the circumstances and just accept circumstances the way that they are and see them for what they are and try and understand them for what they are and allow them to be, it's in that action that my perspective becomes clear. Where self-will 
is the dominant force, then it's just selfishness and self that is being acted out on those circumstances. And how well does that work? When I'm faced with overwhelmingly complex situations, overwhelmingly complex circumstances, that I have no real idea of ever having the ability to figure out or understand. It's in that moment of surrender, of trust, that my perception clears and the truth will be revealed to me. But it's not a trade-off. If you, again, are thinking if I take certain actions to surrender, I'm going to get a certain result, that's uh, entering into it with an expectation. The surrender and the letting go needs to be total. And I'm going to end with this, if I can use one last metaphor. I do believe it's very much either you know what you're doing, or you understand that you don't really know. In the First World War, Germany surrendered. And they signed the Treaty of Versailles and had to pay huge penalties to the rest of Europe. While they signed that surrender, did they really? Because it was on the back of that resentment at the loss and the consequences of the loss that the Second World War started. Now the question is, is when they surrendered in the Second World War, did they really surrender? They did. All their men had been killed. All their cities had been blown to pieces. Russia stepped in and said, we're taking this part. The Allies said, we're taking this part. They had lost the fight. And they surrendered. And they accepted the terms of the surrender, the loss. They'd had their asses kicked. They gave up. Today, 2019, Germany has pretty much the strongest economy in Europe. Right? Everybody's pissed off with them because they feel that they have too much economic power and swinging their weight around and nobody really wants to answer to that. How does that work? <laughs>